you know, the clients, they, they know that, you know, Liz is learning and growing and they're understanding. They're not going to fire you because she stumbled on something. You're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. This week's guests are certified financial planners, Sean Tadlaska and Liz Plott. Sean founded his own firm, Ballast Point Financial Planning, three years ago and didn't have any real plans to expand or hire. However, as his business grew, it quickly became apparent that he needed help. So when Sean found Liz, an experienced financial counselor, they set out to see if they were a good fit and immediately clicked. Now Sean and Liz have teamed up to level up their current client experience, all while growing Ballast Point Financial Planning to new heights. Straight ahead, Sean and Liz discuss both hiring and getting hired at a small financial planning practice. When you think about the work of financial planners, do you think of words like passion, purpose, and impact? If not, then something just isn't right. I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that empowering people to live their best lives is a noble calling. The independent RAAs who work with us use their passion to help transform client lives, communities, and their own futures. Want to learn more about how we can support you in helping your clients reach their financial goals? Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Thank you, Sean and Liz, for joining us today. We're excited to have you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, awesome. So, Sean, why don't you jump into a little bit about the overview of your firm and where it stands today and how you got there on your career path? It's actually our three-year anniversary since launching, so we're recording on May 2nd. Um, Currently, we serve about 69 families on an ongoing basis. Uh, We've worked with about 116 families since we launched. Uh, Our average client, um, they're typically in their 25 to 40-year-old range. They're about 38 years old. I'm I'm 37, so it's kind of in my peer group. Um, We charge an upfront fee right now, about like, you know, $1,300 to $1,500 for kind of some of the initial heavy lifting. And we also charge a monthly fee that starts when they become a client. And on average, that's about, you know, uh, $280 a month. I would say we serve young professionals, uh, a lot of a young professional, kind of just independent single women or young couples that have newly uh, combined finances or had a kid or just got married. Um, those are kind of our, we don't, I wouldn't say we have a niche, but like kind of the um, kind of common demographic. Very cool. And congratulations on the three-year anniversary. That has to be an awesome achievement for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. And um, yeah, Liz, she's been with me for about a year and a half. And then we also have um, Jeff Reed, he's an enrolled agent, um, and he helps us do tax planning. So he, we did about 15 tax returns for our clients this year. It sounds like not only has the firm grown, but now you're starting to expand into other areas of expertise within your employees. So tell me a little bit about your career path and how you ultimately got to starting your own firm. You know, I was always kind of interested in personal finance. Uh, it kind of has this mystique about it. You know, we didn't talk about it growing up as a kid. And, um, I went to UCLA for undergrad, and I even had an internship at Merrill Lynch when when I was a, a junior in college. And uh, when I was when I was graduating, you know, I I was, I was pretty like risk averse. I would say um, I didn't want to work for you know I, I interviewed at like Ameriprise and AXA and um, Edward Jones, but those were all kind of you know you got to hit these certain threshold benchmarks or you're or you're out of these certain hurdles. Um, so I ended up working for the Capital Group. Um, they managed the American funds in, in LA and worked there for about four years, um, started studying to become a CFP at that point. My wife, um, she went to business school out in Boston. So I moved out there. 
I tried to look for a job um, in financial planning out there, but couldn't really find anything. So um, I, I kept working kind of for these big investment companies um, in their kind of their back office doing corporate actions. Um, in 2010, she graduated. We moved to San Diego. And that's where I would say I kind of started uh, really in, in, in financial planning. Um, I took an internship from um, kind of someone who has been like a, been like a mentor to me. Um, I just reached out to him, told him we were moving back, and he let me be an intern while I was looking for a full-time job. Um, then I worked at this duly registered broker-dealer. They actually sold a, raw, a lot of raw land and non-traded REITs and um, oil partnerships and you know just kind of a lot of these things that are illiquid at investments. Um, ultimately, that, that company ended up going, going bankrupt, um, and uh, I actually... My next job was for more of what I would say real financial planning is. It was a registered investment advisor uh, called Hokanson Associates. Um, they served, you know, the typical, um, you know, um, very affluent. Uh, our minimum was $2 million of investable assets. So our, and we charged 1%. So our clients were paying us 20 grand a year. I kind of just had this feeling that I wanted to um, serve people that were more in my peer group and just have like a bigger impact on you know, and touch the lives of more people. Um, our firm, they managed about 400 million at the time. And, you know, we had like 250 clients. And I was like, I, I thought to myself, you know, I want to, I want to help more people out. So I decided to go to business school because I, you know, my idea at the time was to start my own kind of fintech um, company. Uh, this is like 2013. This is before fintech was even a buzzword. Um, and when I got into business school, I started learning about personal capital and betterment and Wealthfront. And these companies had raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And I was like, how can I, you know, launch my own firm like that? So when I graduated, I went to personal capital as a post MBA intern. Um, so there wasn't a long-term opportunity for me there. Like it wasn't guaranteed or anything, but I was working really, really hard to try and um, get a full-time offer uh, when that internship was up. And at that time, um, one of the, one of the advisors there that I was working with, he told me about XY Planning Network. I never even heard about it. So this is 2015, uh, early 2016. And I started looking into it. And, um, you know, I would say that I'm, I'm kind of an accidental uh, entrepreneur. Um, I didn't, you know, set out to really start my own firm. Uh, my wife was working for Salesforce at the time. So she had kind of the stable job. She was kind of the anchor spouse with the health benefits. And, um, you know, I decided, you know, now, now is the time to take a chance on myself. Um, I was, I was really nervous. I'd never been a client facing advisor before. Um, and I, I didn't know if people were going to pay me, uh, for, for financial planning and, uh, you know, but I, I, you know, I, I decided, you know, now is a good time to take a chance. And, um, you know, I, you know, I hung my shingle as it were. And for me, it, it kind of was like build it and they were, they will come. It was the, the field of dreams there. Um, I didn't have like an existing book of business or anything. I, I didn't start out with any clients and, um, just kind of, um, yeah, just kind of, just kind of grew from there a client at a time. And I want to dig a little more into those previous experiences that you had, you know, you said it wasn't the right fit. There was no long-term path there. What were some of those indicators that gave you that insight and ultimately led to you looking for another opportunity? One story that really sticks out to me, it, it's kind of a complicated, you know, matrix of, uh, how these how these companies work together, but um, the person that I was working for, his brother owned um, another company that sold raw land, 
And so their dad actually was the one that would buy these giant pieces of raw land in like San Diego and, and kind of places like that, um, kind of like in the 60s and 70s. And then they kind of took over the business for them. And so my boss started the broker dealer because there's only so much raw land you can, you can sell people. So they needed to be able to sell them other things. And one day, you know, he was really excited about this, this piece of land. And he was like, you know what, Sean, you and Jen, you should take some of your money and, and start investing in this raw land. It's a really good deal. Think about investing like, you know, at the time it was like 10 or $20,000. And I was like, well, what did your brother pay for it? His brother is the one that would go out and source these deals. And then he would he was like pitching it like, oh, you know, Walmart just bought a piece of land and they were paying what, $9 a square foot. And then they were trying to sell it, sell, sell this one to me for like, I don't know, three or $4 a square foot. And I was like, okay, well, what did your brother pay for it? And he's like, I, I don't know. And I was like, isn't, isn't it a little weird? You don't know what your brother paid for it. And he's like, what, don't you think my brother should make money? And, you know, kind of got a little heated and I'm like, no, he should make money. He's taking on a lot of risk but don't you think it's weird as an investor to not know what kind of your, your basis is a little bit later, you know, he, he called me into his office and he's like, look, Sean, if you're, if you're having questions like this, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. I remember that so vividly. And, you know, ultimately a couple, couple months later, the, the, I didn't get fired or anything. It wasn't like you're fired on the spot, but you know, it was like, I was starting to look for a new job. The company ended up going bankrupt. They got complaints filed against them. Like the sec started investigating them for using improper comps so that Walmart deal that they were promoting actually had like water rights and then their property didn't. So there was just kind of a lot of shadiness going on. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really important piece for, you know, not only new planners coming into the profession or young planners coming into the profession, but just in general for career advice, when it doesn't feel right, it might be time to make a switch. Yeah. You know, I think I was just so excited and like he was selling me on the possibility of the role and he's like, you're going to learn so much, Sean. And, um, you know, looking back, it was a good experience. I learned a lot. I learned like, you know, what questions to ask and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's hard. And then like when I interviewed for my next role, um, they, they, they contacted my previous boss and uh, my, my old boss was like, you know what? I, I think Sean's, he, I, th- I don't think he's going to make it in this industry. He's, uh, he's too idealistic. And I'm like, seriously, like I'm too idealistic. I think the industry could use more people like me and less people that are selling them non like raw pieces of the land. Yeah, you just asked really good questions. It's hard to even know what, what questions to ask, but like, you know, maybe for the audience, you ask questions like, okay, how much of your revenue is generated from financial planning fees? Or how much is generated from commissions? Like these products that they're selling generate eight to ten percent upfront commissions, and there's no way to get out of them. Um, so maybe asking like kind of the revenue mix you know, of, of, uh, of the firm could be a good indicator. All right. So after you had left that firm and moved into San Diego, how had that change in job? How has that helped you understand that starting your own firm was the right fit? So, so yeah, the next firm I went to was that high net worth firm in San Diego where a minimum was 2 million bucks. Um, I would say, you know, this probably, you know, might resonate with some people in your audience that like, you know, I was, I was really, I really felt like I was being micromanaged, you know, and I, I felt like my ideas weren't getting heard. And um, that's when I kind of like thought about like what's, what's going to be next for me. And I started exploring um, going to business school, you know, kind of once your head starts drifting, it's easy to kind of like lean back at your current role. So, you know, kind of if I have one regret or, you know, some advice to, 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 to your audiences, I, I love this phrase, grow where you're planted. 
I, had, I was kind of like thinking down the road, you know, I wasn't doing my best work in that role. And like, you know, I wasn't like a hundred percent completely engaged, but you really got to like give it, give it your all when you're at those, when you're at those firms, because you never know who you're going to cross paths with. Like this industry is so small. So your reputation is, is so big. So uh, really, really give it your all. You know, you know, no matter what role you're in, even if you don't really align with the the, the, the vision of the firm, the, the relationships that you build will, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll cross paths with those people in the future. And so as you transitioned to owning your own firm, how has the vision changed for that firm? I know we have Liz on here, who's a lead planner with your firm at this point in her career, but was that always the plan to, you know, hire and grow and scale a firm? So I was looking back at my original like business plans and kind of some old emails and stuff. And originally, um, I wanted to have a lifestyle practice. Um, I thought that I wanted to have a lifestyle practice. And my idea was, you know, I wanted to have 30 to 40 clients. um, And that would take up maybe 60% of my time. And in the remainder of the time, I wanted to do things that were more scalable, like maybe doing an online course, speaking engagements, maybe a podcast. And that was kind of my original goal. I hired Liz when I was kind of getting to maybe like, maybe like 30 clients and, you know, I was just having trouble keeping up with all the work and, uh, and onboarding new clients and kind of as, as she's grown, so has the vision for my firm. And, you know, the, the, the mission has always stayed the same. Like the mission of my firm is to positively touch the lives of, of 1 million young professionals and using personal finance as a tool. Um, so that hasn't changed. Um, but what has changed is kind of, you know, I've really enjoyed uh, seeing Liz grow and develop as a planner. You know, she came on as like a client service associate. And now, you know, we have 69 clients, nine of those relationships were, were co-leads on. And so, you know, she's kind of running those meetings. I'm, I'm shadowing her right now. Um, so it's been really awesome to kind of just have like maybe a multiplier effect. And so now my vision is more uh, you know, I've been listening to like Rick Edelman and, you know, Joe Duran and like United Capital. And uh, my vision is to build um, a national brand. Um, it's kind of crazy to say that out loud. But, um, you know, Jeff Reed, our tax specialist, he lives in Maryland. Liz is going to move to Maryland. So we'll have a West Coast office and an East Coast office and kind of use that that diamond team model that, that Angie Herbert puts out there um, and kind of just build it. Uh, right now, I'm thinking, you know, one diamond team at a time. But I've also thought about maybe doing something like a like a bolt-on approach where, you know, there's a lot of advisors out there that, that, you know, they really love the financial planning. They don't, they don't necessarily want to start their own firm. And I feel like Liz and I have built like a really good playbook uh, with our operations manual and templates and, you know, workflows for how to do financial planning for young professionals, because it is different. They don't teach you that uh, in the CFP program. Um, So now we have this like really good, like almost like rinse and repeat, you know, we kind of have like, it's unique for each client, but like we have a, a process that we work, we put them through. So one idea could be like we do a bolt on where, you know, advisors can use all of our, our resources and then um, they're kind of under our umbrella. So we've been thinking about uh, I've been just kind of toying around with that idea. But um, I think that the broader point is, you know, I started out with this, you know, kind of lifestyle and uh, approach idea. And, you know, I've kind of found that I really like building the business um, as, as opposed to just doing the, the client work when I was hiring Jeff to do tax planning, you know, it was really exciting to kind of be like, okay, what does our engagement letter look like? How are we going to collect the data? What software are we going to use? Um, what price point? How are we going to message this to our clients? So um, kind of building a business has been uh, really exciting for me. 
And now we're going to jump over to Liz, who's maybe going a little less traditional in the sense of coming on as a virtual client service associate and now moving into the lead planner role. So Liz, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your story and how you ultimately landed at the firm with Sean? My background's actually financial counseling. I did that for 10 years before I started with Sean. Um, I worked for a nonprofit helping service members, and I found myself moving to California and needing to find a new opportunity. And I found Sean's job opening through Simply Pair Planner via Facebook. (laughs) And so had you always been in financial counseling? Was that what you had studied in college or what you had an interest in? Or how did you really get to that point of your career? Well, I studied finance in college and quickly realized I didn't want to be in sales or be a broker uh, as I was interviewing with those firms. It just wasn't, I wasn't interested. Like right off the bat, it wasn't something I felt passionate about. So I went to work for the FAA, uh, Federal Aviation Administration in DC and, and helped uh, train the air traffic controllers in their financial systems. Um, so that was actually really neat, um, but very different from what I studied. Um, and then I ended up working for them for a little bit. They let me work. My husband's active duty military, so he moved to Florida, and the FA let me work remotely. But then they said, you have to come back to D.C. Um, and I said, well, my husband's in Florida. And at that point, he was moving to Washington. Um, so in Washington, Washington State, was where I found uh, financial counseling um, because it was on the base that we were at. And uh, that financial counseling led me to financial planning, um, just wanting to, to know more and digging more into, into the industry. What were some of the factors that led to you making the leap into the financial counseling from the traditional finance background that you had? Yeah, I, I I stumbled into financial counseling accidentally. Um, I was in between jobs and a, a friend told me about the, this nonprofit. Um, she said they help service members through financial emergencies and you know, come come volunteer. And so I started doing that, but it, I didn't see the connection. Honestly, it was for me what I studied in school and Financial planning, financial counseling and planning were very different things. Now I see that there's overlap, but yeah, I sort of just stumbled into it. How has your role with Sean changed from day one? Actually, Sean had me sitting in on meetings from, from day one, which which actually really surprised me. And for the first 30 days, we did uh, strictly contractor trial basis. And I started off working just 10 hours a week. And then the hours have increased over time, and now I'm, now I'm full-time. Every 30 days, every 60 days, every 90 days, in the beginning, Sean and I sat down. We'd list my responsibilities and what my expectations were, what his expectations were, where we were, where we wanted to be. Um, that, was, that was all really surprising. Um, but because it was just me and him, like I would do onboarding, um, administrative tasks, uh, I've been doing from the start, he said, okay, you're in charge of operations. So I've been building that up uh, from the beginning. Now um, I do the first pass of the financial plan um, and I've 
that's increased over time where um, initially it was just setting up the slides, but now it's doing everything. So Sean's just throwing more and more on your plate each day, huh? Yeah, that's a really accurate way to describe it is it's it's with us. It's never really been me insisting or requesting. It's usually been Sean saying, you're going to do this now. <laughs> um, so, which is good because I'm, I'm very cautious. So it, it works out well. <laughs> well, that's great. And I think it's very interesting that as you were integrated into the firm, you just naturally became a better you know, partner with Sean, but also, as I understand now, you are a lead planner, correct? So I, I'm, we're co-leads on clients. I'm an associate planner, but, but um, yes, I, I prepare the presentation I presented and then Sean sits in on meetings. And if, if there's something that clients have questions on and that I, I don't know the answer to, um, then he's there to help me out. But the clients that um, I'm that we're focusing on making me the lead are um, part of our wealth builder package. So they're younger clients who are uh, just out of school, focusing more on the cash management and debt and student loans. That's what I what I did essentially when I was at the Relief Society. So. Um, that's a really good fit for me. Great. And I think that's very important just to point out how you said you were pushed into more responsibility. And I think that's that gradual transition is much better than what commonly is happening in the broader industry of, you know, go sell or you're not going to make it. And I think, Sean, you saw some of that in your career path. So as you were building the firm and as Liz was starting to take on more responsibilities and you had those chances to you know, review every 30, 60, 90 days. How were you identifying that she was ready for more? Let me just back up. Like I've, I've never really been a manager, like a direct, you know, manager over someone's development. So this is all new to me. So I, w- I would say like kind of open communication has been, you know, a really good key factor for us. Um, like we, we talk after every meeting, like, what did you, what stood out to you? What did, you know, do you have any questions? Um, any, any surprises? Um, and so I've actually had Liz kind of give, give me feedback too. Like I had, I had her give me like a, some, like a 360 feedback. Um, in terms of like, uh, knowing when Liz was ready, um, I kind of, you know, use the philosophy, set really high expectations and then, and then let people surprise you. Um, and, and like, let them kind of, you know, I think innately everyone wants to do a good job. Um, like every, like it's innate in everybody that they want to do a good job. So, um, if, if she messes up on something, like a, a good example, like Liz, you'll laugh about this, is like we did a financial independence projection for someone and she just really, really stumbled over her words and like just uh, not a train wreck, but just like I was just kind of letting her kind of flounder a little bit. And then um, and then like I kind of saved her, you know, after a couple of minutes. And, um, you know, after that, she like has never have, has never messed up on that again. And like, you know, the clients, they, they know that. Um, you know, Liz is learning and growing and they're understanding. They're not going to fire you because she stumbled on something. Um, so I, I think also, you know, it's, it's really good to keep people constantly challenged. Um, so now, you know, when, when Liz does the first pass, like we, we have like a three meeting onboarding uh, process. So she sets up all the slides now for, for each one of those meetings. 
And then she also puts in her recommendations in the notes. So it's like, okay, think about it from the advisor perspective. If you were the advisor, um, how, how what, what recommendation would you make? So that kind of gets her thinking like an advisor. And then in terms of like transitioning clients to her, um, with my model, I feel like I can only handle 60 to 70 clients because we're meeting twice a year. We're doing tax projections. We're doing tax returns. We're doing, we're doing a lot. Um, so that's why I've, I've been needing someone to kind of uh, help take on clients. And so we've done it two ways. One is for existing clients where they're, you know, they've kind of been onboarded for a while and they're, they're kind of like lower risk, I would say, clients. If, if they leave, like it's not like um, it's going to break our firm or anything. And, you know, they're actually like happy. They're like, oh, wow, does this mean that you're growing? You know, like your firm is growing. And a softer way to position it is we're co-leads. I'm not just handing you off to Liz. Like, you know, uh, we're going to be doing it together. Um, and then so maybe that's like four or five of the clients where she's been uh, the co-lead. And then the other ones are, are brand new clients. And then those ones are much easier to have her be the lead on because from the very beginning, um, she's been she's been the lead advisor. She was in on the, the prospect calls and the prospect meetings. And, you know, I just kind of set the expectations that, that Liz is going to be your primary contact and I'll, I'll be there to kind of shadow her and back her up. But um, you're going to be working with, with Liz going forward. What we've seen so much in the profession is the lack of handholding, the lack of training. But it sounds like you pushed Liz to go further and then came back when you realized she needed help. Yeah. What would you say, Liz? For, yeah, for sure. Um, like Sean said, I think even when on our first interview, um, I said, I'm a very honest person. And I said something and Sean said, uh, you don't have to be that honest. That's that's just who I am. And if this is going to work, I, you have to be honest, too. So right off the bat, I said, if I'm doing something wrong, you need to tell me in that moment, not six months later at my review, because that's not going to work. Um, and so that's been really helpful and also both of us being flexible with the virtual setup um, has helped. Yeah. So you say, Liz, that you enjoyed having that opportunity to be challenged and to be tested on things you may not be 100% comfortable in and then having the ability to just be open and honest with Sean both ways to get that feedback and to grow in the moment. Yes, definitely. Uh, because I'm the type of person that isn't necessarily going to say I'm ready for this until I am 100% ready for it. And sometimes you need to try something when you're 75% ready for it. And so Sean recognized most of the time, he's pretty good about recognizing when it's a good time. Sometimes he'll say, um, I want you to do this. And I wasn't ready, but we have that, that honest communication. And I'll say, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, or I have no idea how to approach this. And then we, we back up. I think, you know, one good way to do it is you start with a specific uh, module like insurance reviews. So, you know, that was the first thing that Liz started presenting to clients was, okay, we're reviewing their auto insurance, their homeowner's insurance and their umbrella policy. And, you know, that was a very definitive task that we, she could prepare for and know, you know, kind of have her talking points. And then we would do a dry run the day before so that she would like, you know, as if you were going to present to a client, you know, what would you say? And now we're at a point where um, Liz is doing the slides and I'm like, before she sends them to me, she's, she's, she's writing me an email saying, okay, I can present uh, the long-term disability review and I can present the, the spending plan review. And so she's already proactively saying like, this is what I'm, I feel ready and capable to pre present. 
um, at the next meeting. And I think that's just like a good tip when you're training a, a, a new advisor. Sean, how has the experience with Liz, both good and bad, really shaped how you'll onboard future hires? I know you currently have another part-time staff. Has any of the experience with Liz shaped how you've onboarded that employee in addition to the ones you'll hire in the future? We kind of documented all the different technology that, that I needed to hand over to her. Like a good tool is LastPass where we can share passwords. And so we kind of documented like the 10 or 12 different um, pieces of technology that 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 she needs to get trained up on. Like 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 Liz mentioned, she's kind of the head of uh, um, building out our operations manual. When she started, it was like two or three pages. And, you know, the kind of the first thing I had her do was like reserve a study room for me, like go online, reserve it, very easy to follow. And like, these are the steps. And now the operations manual is over a hundred pages long. So um, kind of approaching it with the mentality, if we're going to do this task more than once, let's document it and make sure it's clear enough that as if we were going to do it a thousand times. So when, when Jeff came on, you know, he has that as a resource for how we do prep for our initial meeting, how we prep for our, our plan design meeting and how we prep for our plan delivery meeting. So he's got like kind of a playbook um, to follow. So Sean, many times advisors are bringing in new talent to the firm like you've done with Liz and don't have a clear roadmap as to how to integrate them. How did you really go through that process so that when Liz came on board, you knew exactly what you wanted her to start with? I think creating like just like a little curriculum uh, for Liz, like we just created like a two week schedule. I called it BPFPU uh, or Ballast Point Financial Planning University. And, you know, having uh, time blocking areas of like, okay, this is when we're going to go over, you know, a firm overview. This is going to, you know, this is kind of having like specific things that we would go over over that two week period. Um, so kind of having that, but then like kind of a broader issue was, I didn't really know what I wanted my firm to, to grow, to be, you know, uh, down the road and which I think is okay. I think it's okay if you're like looking for some help to, um, to not know what your long-term vision is and to have different career paths. So Caleb Brown has this great slide where there's, you start with as a client service associate, the next step is associate financial planner, kind of moving from left to right. And then if you, when you, when you, graduate to the next level, you can either go into firm management, like director of financial planning, director of compliance, director of operations, uh, or you could be a lead financial planner. You know, you don't have to be a lead financial planner. And when Liz first started, she didn't know which which direction she wanted to go. And, and, and you know, that was okay. Like we could have had her just be the head of financial planning and operations. Uh, so just kind of having options um, and yeah, having a clear a line of communication. We do those re- reviews every every quarter. Yeah, so I think it's okay to not have uh, have that all defined ahead of time. Liz, as you were going through taking on more with the firm, how did you decide this is the path I want to go? I want to go towards the lead planner role. How did you come to terms with that um, just in your own mind? In my past roles, um, I'd been seeing clients. Uh, I'd been client-facing for, for 10 years. And I found that I was really missing that. I was sort of giving Sean the opportunity to back out of making me a planner because my husband's still in the military and he's still active duty. We're going to move again. And so I just didn't know how this was going to work. I would have been happy just doing operations if that's Sean was happy with me doing and I was fine with that. 
Um, but then he said, no, I want you to be a planner if that's what you want to do. And clients aren't running away. So that's great. <laughs> if either of you could give someone a piece of advice, what piece of advice would you give? I would say to take your time. If your firm allows you to, to take your time to choose your career path, there's um, no hurry to decide if you want to be back office or if you want to be client facing. Make sure that you're happy with your decision and not just doing it because one or the other is going to make you more money. Right. And Liz, what were some of the questions you were asking early on with Sean to sort of feel out whether or not you could do that within this firm? Um, my, my concern was with just, will clients want to interface with me virtually? Because that's, that's what they're going to get. I think because we work with a younger clientele, they are comfortable with that interaction and just it's fairly new what we're doing. So that was that was my biggest concern. Great. And Sean, any advice for the advisors out there looking to make their first hire? You know, just kind of in general, I think uh, there's like this conception out there that there's like a lack of um, a lack of talent. You know, there's all these advisors that are retiring and uh, there's, you know, there's no one to backfill. I think it's more, um, there's not a good career path, you know, for people like Liz. And I want to give a shout out to Liz. Like she's been very, she's been very modest. She actually volunteered 4,000 hours, like over those 10 years, like 4,000 hours of work. Um, she was an accredited financial counselor. She had already, um, uh, taken classes to become a certified financial planner. So when you are looking to bring someone on, I've got like a few different tips, um, Look for someone who's got a dedication to their profession. Um, so those are just huge signals that she is dedicated to becoming a, you know, a financial planner. Um, another one is it, it, it's scary. It's scary as an advisor hiring someone, like doubling your headcount from one to two. I, I felt like a lot of pressure once I hired Liz that like, oh man, now I've got to like bring on new clients to, to kind of support her and like the, her, her income. Um, and like to kind of help relieve some of that pressure you can start with like a 30 or 60 day contract and, you know, use it as a way for both of you to kind of test the waters. So, you know, it's, it's a way for Liz to see if she likes working for me. And if I like having Liz, um, it, it has worked out like better than I could have ever imagined having Liz. Uh, you know, when I would prepare for client meetings, it would take me three to four hours to review all the notes and prepare all the slides. And uh, now I'm down to 60 to 90 minutes before each meeting. That's how, that's how long it takes me to kind of, to get, to get ramped up. It used to take me an hour, hour and a half to write up all the notes and assign action items, upload that to Write Capital. Now I just review the notes for 10 minutes and Liz is doing all the follow-up too. Like if we're doing backdoor Roths, Liz is following up and saying, hey, you need to convert your IRA now. You know, like following up on all the action items. Um, so I think kind of like de-risking it, you know, you're not, you don't have to, when you hire someone, it doesn't have to be a 40 hour a week per, proposition. You can position it as, you know, Liz started with just 10, 10 to 20 hours a week. Um, and she's kind of just, just grown from there. So, uh, those are, those are some tips that I would, I would give to, um, some other advisors out there. Oh, and then also a huge shout out to simply Paraplanner. I've used them for, um, hiring both Liz and Jeff. Um, I think when you're thinking about hiring someone, think about what you want them to do. Uh, what, what, and, and that'll really help you craft the job description and be like very transparent, like be very detailed. I think my job posting was like four pages long about like kind of the vision, the values and kind of what I was looking for. 
and people will self-select into your into your role and simply pair planner handled the whole thing for me like they 26 people applied they corresponded with all of the applicants uh so they knew where they stood in the process they sent out surveys they cut the list down to just 10 they did one-on-one interviews with those 10 screened it down to three they had those three people do a colby assessment they have you do a colby assessment uh, Liz is, is kind of like a little mini me uh, in terms of like where we ranked on all those different things. And it's just really helpful to know people's strengths and um, how to how to work together ahead of time. Like one thing for Liz is like to give her a deadline, you know, don't just say I need you to do this, but like kind of give her a deadline. Um, and, and that kind of just you know, helps her be accountable. So if you are thinking about hiring, I, I really recommend Simply Pair Planner. I think they have like 1,200 people on their platform right now that that are looking to work virtually. And it's a great way to just, you know, get leverage in your firm. Like maybe write down just all the things that, that you want to delegate to somebody, like start there. And then that could be part of your job description. Um, I think I think kind of seeing how it's worked out with Liz, you know, some other people, some other people in my study group are like, man, I want a Liz. You know, so um, it, it's, it's, it's worked out really great. And also, I'm, I'm excited to see what Liz does because, you know, the, now that she's kind of trained, she can impact the lives of so many people on her own. So it, it's just been uh, really wonderful. How is your work connecting you to your purpose, your community, and your values? I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade. And we believe that independent registered investment advisors have the power to impact the world in profound ways. If you've never considered being an RAA, it's time to take a look. There's no better way to put your skills and knowledge to work for the greater good of your clients, your community, and your own future. Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.